in the not-too-distant future, following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2. There's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to The Last Comic Shop. Independence Day special here on the last comic shop. I'm the host of the most Andy Larson joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith. And if you've never tuned in for one of our terrific Independence Day specials, uh, there's two things we always do on these shows. First and foremost, we always have a Captain America book to talk about, and we've got a great one today. It's uh Captain America, Home of the Brave, a collection of six issues from the uh, Mark Wade run that he did with Chris Somney on art. But in addition to talking about the red, white, and blue Avenger, we also talk about fried chicken, because there's nothing better on the 4th of July than a big heaping of that fried goodness. And unlike previous years, where we've just gotten an opportunity to talk about fast food chains here in America, this year we have a special treat because uh, our worldly correspondent, Jay Scott, who's been everywhere and back, he's got some interesting takes on fried chicken in other places, especially the Philippines. So, J.A., fried chicken in the Philippines, big deal? Oh, huge deal. Not only is it a huge deal, it is probably the best fried chicken I've ever had. And I've had my fair share of fried chicken through the years. Oh, okay. I am talking the best fried chicken from a chain, so I should probably put that caveat in. Because, you know, when you get into personal fried chicken recipes, if you're like down at somebody's house in the south the u.s or you're you know you're over in the province here everyone has their own little special take and blend and spice mix that they're going to work so let's stick with the stuff that everyone can buy fried chicken at a fast food restaurant and here in the philippines they have blows kfc out of the water we are talking of course anyone who's been here knows what i'm about to say it is jolly bee Jolly Bee? Jolly Bee, yes. And uh, it is a rite of passage if you're a kid here to have a birthday party at Jolly Bee. They've got a. I, I have questions. Now, are we talking bee like. Bzzz, I'm a bee, buzz, buzz? Or are we talking. Yes, yes. Don't... At birthday parties, like every. It doesn't matter the smallest size of the franchise. Every franchise here, they must pull together within an area to get a Jolly Bee costume because every birthday party, the Jolly Bee always shows up. Well, there you and, go. you know, being the Philippines, he doesn't just walk around and wave. He always has a dance routine, like to the latest pop hits. You know, sometimes when it comes to the States, you've got, you know, KFC, you've got Popeyes. You know, I think Chad's more of a Popeyes guy just simply because he loves the sides, right? Yeah, the red beans and rice. Oh, the green beans they have there. Their sides are delightful. What kind of sides do you get at a Jolly Bee? Obviously, being in the Philippines, you wouldn't get like fried chicken and French fries, fried chicken and mashed potatoes. You get fried chicken and rice. That's like the standard, right? Okay. Rice uh, with gravy. So fried chicken, rice, mm. and gravy. 
Is it like a traditional gravy or like a brown like, gravy? Okay. That you would be dipping your your fried chicken in. Now, instead of getting it with rice, you can get it with spaghetti. It's Philippine spaghetti, so it's sweet. Like Ooh. the sauce is sweet, and they've taken like a hot dog and chopped it up. So it's spaghetti with little chopped up bits of a hot dog. Okay. The sweet sauce and your fried chicken. This sounds like madness, but I think I might love it. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I thought. The first time I had it, I was like, these shouldn't go together, but they do in this weird way. <laughs> they give it to you with spaghetti, with chopped up hot dogs, with a sweet sauce, with brown gravy, with rice. Now, is it crispy? If there was an American equivalent, what would you say? It was more like original recipe, more like extra crispy from KFC? Extra crispy. Okay. to extra crispy. And you can get it in two varieties. You can get it in original or spicy. And let me tell you, spicy is the bomb. <laughs> spicy Jollibee fried chicken. And not only is it called chicken, you're ordering chicken joy. That's literally what they call it. Chicken joy with a side of spaghetti and hot dogs so, and sweet sauce. If you're in New York, if you're in Chicago, I think there are a couple in L.A. The franchise has made it across the sea. So anywhere in the U.S. where there's a big population of Filipinos, there tends to be a Jollibee. So maybe, who knows, maybe uh, one will soon come to Pittsburgh. Well, that would be very cool. I'm sure that if it did, Chad would be uh, lining up and for, for his That's sweet spaghetti. Right. For my hot dog spaghetti combo. <laughs> but I, I think it's true, Jay. No matter where it is, whether it's in the Philippines, whether it's in the States, the spicy chicken is always the way to go. When you go to Popeye's, and you get the chicken sandwich that people line up around the block for. You get the spicy one. You don't get the... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy talk. Anything, anything <laughs> and some other crazy talk is, I, again, whether or not you like Captain America. I guess... If you're listening to this show, you must have a passing interest. Before we go to commercial break, I wanted to get everybody's thoughts real quickly on Captain America, given he is the star of today's book. And it's an interesting character because some people think he's very white bread and not very interesting at all. Other folks, you know, they, they live and die by good old Cap. J.A., what are your thoughts on the good old Captain? I never had a problem with Captain America growing up. When I was first in the comic books in the 90s, you know, Captain America had been out of the ice for 20 or 30 years and was just pretty much well established as Captain America fighting the fight. And uh, there are a couple of decades where he was a little boring, but uh, in the early aughts, they started to really look at his character and do some fun stuff with it. So I, I never had a problem with him. You know, the, the Marvel rebirth has been good for him. So I, I agree with Jay where there are lots of times where Captain America just can just kind of be there. And then there are those occasions when a really great writer or a really great artist gets their hand on Captain America and really elevates him and reminds you on why he needs to exist. And so Mark Wade, which we'll talk about today, is one of those writers. Ed Brubaker is one of those writers. And the, I think with the MCU, Chris Evans was such a great Captain America. You, you don't have the MCU be as, as successful as it is without someone who's as believable and relatable and just as perfect in the role as Chris Evans was. But uh, the other thing that is notable about Captain America is when he's not around, you feel that absence. Yes. And so we saw it with Winter Soldier and Falcon show. 
you know, you feel that absence of Captain America in the Marvel Universe when Captain America isn't around. Like, you can tell the Avengers aren't the same. There's that little inspirational piece, that little motivational je ne sais quoi that, that keeps people going. It's, you know, it's missing. And so he's a character that's defined almost as much by his absence as it is by his presence. And I'm, I'm excited to see what the Marvel Universe does with the new Captain America. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and how Sam Wilson will, will carry into that role, and and will he be able to lead as well uh, and follow in those footsteps? They, they're huge footsteps to follow. It's almost like the DC universe and Superman. I mean, these characters are kind of almost interchangeable uh, in terms of their impact on that particular universe and how important. You know, again, it's weird to think that Superman, oftentimes in the DC universe, isn't really put in that command role, although. Everybody does look up to him. He's the most powerful guy on the block. So they'll they'll say, well, you know, he's going to be, quote unquote, leading us. But you don't think of him as the traditional leader like you do with Captain America. Like Captain America, he's the glue that keeps the Marvel Universe together. He automatically rises to that position of being kind of the head honcho, leading the pack, standing up to Thanos in the end, even though he's well outmatched. And, and, and to Chad's point, when he's not there, uh, for example, you know, in the mid-aughts when they, they killed him, and it was the death of Captain America, even though in the back of my mind, I'm like, gosh, they got to bring him back. Like, they got to bring, you know, y- you can't have that Captain America hole be there. It just really felt weird. And you could see, like, kind of things start to crumble around. And you, you could make for interesting stories, but at the same time, you just felt that hole. And so it's kind of one of those characters where, yeah, does he do a lot? Sometimes not very much. If you don't have him, then you're really missing something. He's that important, I feel, to the the overall tapestry of the Marvel Universe, which I don't think there's many characters like that. Uh, I think Spider-Man's another one. I think maybe Hulk. But I think you can do without people like Iron Man for a, for a time. You can do without Thor for a time. And, and nothing really seems to happen. It's nice to have them back. But, like, there's a couple characters like Cap that, like, you just have to have them in your tapestry or things just don't work. They don't gel. Yeah, he's definitely one of those glue characters, those glue guys of the Marvel Universe that keeps everything together. And speaking of glue, things that keep our show glued together are our commercial breaks. So we've got one coming up, and right after these messages, we'll have Mark Wade and Chris Somney doing Captain America, Home of the Brave. And Jeff Kirby. Hey, everybody. Hey. I'm Ashley. And I'm Nagy. We're from Rock Candy Podcast. Kind of like behind the music, except unauthorized and drunk. But come along every week and listen to us talk about artists or albums that you may know really well or may have never heard of while we're drinking beers. Witty things to talk about. Great hot takes with some hot babes. (laughs) That's subjective, but okay. (laughs) So go find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and wherever you catch your pods. And with that, party party on, on, kids. kids! Well, that sounded forced. Is it not? <laughs> We're back with more of our Independence Day special here on The Last Comic Shop. And, of course, as always on these things we like to talk about, Captain America, the red, white, and blue Avenger himself, Old Flaghead. I, I'm trying to think if he had any other nicknames. Cap, that's Bomb Pop. That was a weird <laughs> one. Yeah, I, I love that it, one. though. By the end, I was like, 
Yeah, I could I could go for that bomb pop. I like it. Speaking of the bomb pop, that comes from today's book. It's uh, a six issue uh, trade uh, released uh, by Marvel, and it's called Home of the Brave. It collects issues. I think it's six ninety five through seven hundred. And this is actually the start of the Mark Wade run. Ah! So he was picking up after Nick Spencer and the Secret Empire. Right. Folks that uh, have not uh, read Secret Empire, uh, kind of Cap's character, went through a little bit of the ringer during that event on purpose. So that's the Hydra Cap. That's uh, where Red Skull used the Cosmic Cube to basically change reality so that Captain America's parents were involved with Hydra. And so he was always a Hydra a loyalist and he ends up becoming the uh, president of the country and, and installing a totalitarian regime and uh, real cap comes back thanks to a cubic or cubert or a living cosmic cube kid yes who remembers what captain america was like and recreates him real cap punches hydra cap and now like captain america is made to uh, go out into the country and, I don't know, redeem his good name. Not only fictionally, but kind of metafictionally, too. Kind of bringing the character back to his original roots. Which is good for Mark Wade because as as Chad might cover in his recommendations, if there's one guy that knows how to write good Captain America and reminds you of why we like Captain America, it's Mark Wade. And he's done this before and he, he does it here again. And uh, But real quickly, who else was on this book, Chad, with Mark Wade? Oh, it wasn't just Mark Wade. This was the Daredevil team of Mark Wade and Chris Somney, which are storytellers. So they work together. It's not writer and artist. It's storytellers. Uh, you have Matthew Wilson on colors. Uh, you have Joe Caramagna working as letterer. And don't forget the backup story in issue 700, The Gauntlet, written by Mark Wade. Drawn by Jack the King Kirby, with thanks by Frank Giosha, 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 Frank G, Frank G. There you go. And had Matt Wilson on colors, and Fernando Delgado, Artie Simic, and Sam Rosen on letters. And so is this? Um, I, I also know that that particular team of Mark Wade and Chris Somney, they also worked on a, a Black Widow book. Did they do any other books together uh, other than the Daredevil and the Black Widow in this one? Uh, not to my knowledge. As far as I know, this was Somney's swan song at Marvel Aww. before he left to do things like his Firepower series that he's been working on with Robert Kirkman over at Skybound and Image. Yeah. And it was interesting that you brought up the Kirby at the end of the book. They did repurpose some Kirby art and add some additional, you know, new word balloons to some of this original art. And I was able to pick out which issues these came from. One of them is like Red Skull Lives, uh, which is, you know, all those guys with the weird faces. Those are the hypno helmets that leads right. up to the original Cosmic Cube. There's another issue that happens actually in the original Cap Bucky back in the 1940s. That's that guy with the giant machine gun last pack thing or whatever but yeah it was neat to but i'm glad to- you could do that because i spent the entire pre-show like 10 minutes going through my captain america box trying to find the issue that had that cap versus batrock the leaper fight but i, I don't want to go too far on this it was really awesome what uh, wade did with this story where he's basically remixing 
all these old Captain America panels into a brand new 10-page story. Like, And it's not the first time folks have done that with Kirby's work. I mean, you were telling me a story about the 90s uh, and, and Kirby and the image guys, right? Well, that that's something different. Rob Liefeld, and obviously I, I get this story from podcast Rob Observations, but uh, Rob Liefeld went to visit Jack Kirby to buy pages of original art, and he found it in a drawer uh, these unfinished pages. And he said, Hey, do you mind uh, if we work on these? And so what happened was, and this is later on in Jack Kirby's life, uh, they gave the pages to Rob Liefeld. He passed them out to his image buddies and they all took turns inking them and they put it out through image. It's called Phantom Force. And it made Jack Kirby the most money he'd ever made off an individual issue of comics. Um, and it was this guy who had toiled in the industry for years. Andy and I both know from the comic book history of comics, you know, how many times Jack Kirby was screwed on this deal or that deal. It was the one time where he really got uh, paid uh, handsomely for his work. Yeah, and if you find you can find that issue in buck bins. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, <laughs> Chad and I were flipping through some buck bins and found like three copies of it. So, what Phantom Phantom Force? It was all these unused pages that Kirby had and then it kept going for another two or three or four issues and it was eventually continued uh, by other folks that weren't jack kirby it, it was great for him to get a payday and appreciated in his lifetime from those image guys very cool and it goes back to the idea that comic books are a disposable art form you you know where you get your comics each week and you you read them and you set them down and people used to throw them away but like how cool would it be if people started taking combing through the careers of the greats and forming new stories out of the panels they've already done. Like, I think that could be its own, like, subline. Just <laughs> kind of like jazz. It's yeah. Taking no. something you know and uh, are familiar with and, and chopping it up and giving it to you different. Yeah, no, I I can see that, especially with the kind of like the Marvel method. You know, the one thing that I always say is it's a package deal. I won't lie when it came to some of that Jack Kirby issue. I was kind of like, oh, I like those issues. And I like the Stanley dialogue. What the heck's going on here? I I started to get a little bit angry at times because I was like, I like that issue with the, the Red Skull lives. Why are they putting other words on top of it? That's dumb. That's, but anyways, that's, that's a good point. Is this a bastardization or is this like, I don't know. I, I think if Marvel put this out and there was a Gene Colan issue and there was, you know, a Walt Simonson or, you know. What I think would be cool, and please tell me if they've done this, and they if they haven't, I'm going to patent it, and you know they should give me a lot of money or trademark it. Is you know they have the end of the Spider Verse stories where you have all these different Spider Mans. The different Spider Mans should be drawn by their different artists. So you get like the McFarlane Spider Man and the Eric Larson Spider Man and the Steve Ditko Spider Man together in the spider-verse you know, like one issue where they they repurpose the art and they they put them together and they're flying through portals and they're like hey you look like the steve ditko that would be that would be kind of right, neat they're different they're spider-man at like different times in his life right yeah even if you the different eras you, yeah different eras so you, oh i think that's what we commented upon when we were reading uh spider-man life story is the fact that it was all drawn by mark bagley and you you like mark bagley art but like Mark Bagley drawing the 60s Spider-Man versus the 70s Spider-Man. No, 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 no. You need somebody that has those kind of definitive styles from 60s versus 70s. Right. And to go back to action figures, that's actually one of my common, like, pleas with action figures. You know they're going to make 600 Spider-Man figures. 
all you need to do is change up that head a little bit and make this one the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man. Make this one the Sabushima Spider-Man. You know, big eyes, small eyes. Yeah, the little the little half squint thing that uh, people would do. But yeah. uh, that that would be great. But in comic book form, even better. All right. Well, speaking of comic books, let's get to the 10 cent synopsis. Uh, we do need to eventually review this book. <laughs> and I mean, we have because we've been reviewing like the tail end, like the last 10 pages of this particular trade. But J.A., what happens in Home of the Brave? As we talked about, this takes place after Secret Empire when we had uh, Evil Cap. Uh, so now Captain America is... He's not just the Captain America of Manhattan or Washington, D.C. He's the Captain America of all America, so he wants to see America. So he's going on a bit of a road show. He's, he's in his uh, Jack Kerouac phase of his life. Um, and that's something that I w- will get into after my 10 cent synopsis. Uh, just talking about sort of the reboot of the Cap character in the timeline because he's a much more man out of time in this. So he's going around uh, the United States on his motorcycle. So he ends up fighting uh, a couple of classic characters in The Swordsman, and Craven shows up for an issue. Uh, but the big bad is, is Rampart, and they're sort of like a neo-Nazi Hydra clone type organization that uh, want to take over America because they want to take over America. Their their motivations aren't really delved into. <laughs> Anyways. They shoot him, freeze him, and he thaws out again, and it's not very far in the future, but America has become post-apocalyptic. It's like, you know, the Zack Snyder Nightfall version of for Captain America. And so he ends up teaming up with these resistance fighters and fighting back against Rampart and, and trying to get back in time to reverse the timeline. Uh, it's a fun story. Got a little bit of uh, Wonder Woman Dead Earth for those folks that have listened to previous episodes, kind of towards the tail in those last three issues. But yeah, that's a 10 cent synopsis. And uh, it's interesting that you bring up that uh, this, this story kind of hinges upon Captain America being out of time. Because I feel like that is such a universal touch point for this particular character. I mean, we talked about how, you know, you don't have Captain America in the Marvel Universe. It just feels like something's not right. Like, uh, there seems to be a very important puzzle piece missing. But at the same time, when it comes to actual Captain America stories, other than telling stories about World War II, the story that we keep coming back to time and time again is the man out of time. Now, when you say we... Yeah, you like the man. I I get frustrated by it. I'm like, okay, I've read this story seven times before. It's like Batman's origin. We've seen Batman's origin. Let's do something else. I will say, though, as we get farther and farther away from World War II, aspects of that man out of time storyline change and, and more important things come. Like when he was out of time in the 60s, the greatest generation was still there. We were, you know, they were still around. They were, they were in the prime of, you know, their careers essentially. So now I think it's much more of a touch point to look back at sort of values and morals during that time and, and what made, you know, the greatest generation, the greatest generation. And, and how does that play off against today's world and, and how people act and treat each other today? I think that's much more important in the sixties. That probably wasn't so big of a thing because there's just not that much gap 
right. then as you go forward, then you start to, well, you have Vietnam and you have Reagan's America and you have uh, the first Gulf War. As, as you get farther and farther from the greatest generation, sort of what made them the greatest generation and therefore what made Cap, Cap, I think, is more powerful. And Jay, earlier you brought up a good point about how people react in today's world. And so, do you remember what the modern reaction to Cap was? Yeah, so in the book, they're like, oh, I think you were some guy back in World War II, which was like 70 years ago, you know? And then today, people didn't believe that he was actually him. They're like, ah, the government just put a new guy in the suit. Right. They didn't believe it was Steve Rogers, because that's, that's the world we live in now. We doubt everything. Yeah. Well, I, but but I think that whether you like the story of the man at a time or you don't like the scenario, I think they keep coming back to it because there are some touchstone aspects of this kind of story. It's the it's the notion of like where you think fondly of the past. It's the whole notion of conservatism versus like progressivism and how there's like that constant tension between the two things, which we keep pushing forward as a society. But we sometimes are like, oh, remember the good old days? And you kind of put that sheen over top. And you were like, things were much simpler. Thing, people were, you know, helped out each other. And like, I think that's what you get with the classic cap and the man at a time is like, you can remember the best parts of the past. And Captain America kind of in, he kind of embodies just those parts of the past we want to remember like those parts of world war ii that didn't involve like putting all the japanese americans in internment camps but the gung-ho spirit that won us the war and beat the nazis like that's really what captain america is he's like he's just the best parts of that that bygone era and and we can just remember those parts and so we're like ooh, that makes us feel good it's like chicken soup for our souls yeah, he's like, the best of us like yes. Even though the way he was created was in a lab, somehow they managed to get the best human to do that thing. <laughs> right. He's blonde. He's Aryan. He's he's blue eyes. Again, if you watch Falcon Winter Soldier, the shit series, again, he doesn't represent all of America. He he tries to. I mean, ultimately, I think his spirit and the values that we like to have. But at the end of the day, he doesn't represent the American experience for everyone. But I, th I still think that's why we go keep on going back to that man at a time. It's our notion of wanting to go back to that that simpler time and being like, oh, those were those were good memories that we used to have. And and thematically, it's worth noting that speaking of going back in time, this issue was part of their Marvel Legacy Initiative, where they went back to the original numbering on their series so like the issue before this was captain america 25 and then the next issue was captain america 695 it was a rare misstep for marvel they released lenticular covers which are those covers where you see one image and then you turn to the side and you see a different image that's uh, very 1990s gimmicky oh absolutely but uh what makes it even worse is the lenticular covers didn't work and so I, I've been sitting here the entire time you guys have been talking, like trying to fold and bend the issue to get where I could see. It's an Alex Ross repainting of the Iron Man cover, you know, where Iron Man is suiting up. Yes. Uh, and they, they printed it on the inside cover so you can see the Captain America version. But yeah, this was part of Marvel's initiative almost to go back in time and acknowledge after years of being like, no, this is issue number one again. Just don't ask questions. This is another number one. And of course, a few months later, they're like, no, no, we'll go back to number one. Once we hit issue 700 and, you know, we get our big celebratory issue, 
then we'll we'll go back to starting a new run shortly after that. And and again, speaking of the book, I, now that I've kind of we've we've talked a little bit about the, about the man at a time. This does have a lot of man at a time stuff. But honestly, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is the fact that this is kind of a tale of two books, in which the first three issues of this trade are pretty much single issues. They tell little stories, whether it's him fighting the swordsman or him having a most dangerous game moment with Craven the hunter. And then the last three issues are an actual arc in which he gets sent to the future. And honestly, that probably could have been more dove into. They, they, they don't spend a lot of time in this future story. But I wanted to get you guys' take about you liked what they did with kind of giving you single issues in an arc. Because this doesn't happen very often in trades. Usually you just get a six-issue run and it's a six-issue story. That's true. But that's one of the things I like about Wade and Somni in general is they tended to be a throwback to the olden days where everything wasn't built for a trade and i really enjoyed it i especially enjoyed the first three issues like because they're exploring more the themes of you know what does captain america mean to you and how you know captain america is about hope and standing up for the little guy um and it's all done so cleanly and so crisply and like and i I just love that somni art in there then you get to the man out of time story and it's like I, i i was glad personally they didn't spend too long in there because like, Nick Spencer was just kind of doing the thing where Captain America was trapped and there's another Captain America running around. And then Rick Remender did that thing where Captain America went into the future and he was there for a really long time. Yeah. And then came back and was old Cap. And, like, Wade's like, all right, we're doing this, but we're not horsing around. We're three issues and out. You know, <laughs> we're going to take this guy. And you know what we're going to do? And this is a big spoiler, so earmuffs if you don't want spoilers. We're killing this Captain America at the end. We're going to kill a cat here and see if anybody notices. By the way, nobody does. Nobody yeah. notices. Because there, there, is, there is one. He's in the he's in the ice. It's the captain. Which which gets to my point. Those last three issues were superfluous. <laughs> the first three issues were beautiful. The last three issues, it was it was an okay story. But, you know, you're in the future and you're asking, like, where are the other heroes? Where's, like, the rest of the Marvel Universe? Not everyone would have been killed in this massive apocalypse nuclear thing or whatever yeah, uh, or two and 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 one of them was one of my my all-time favorite moments in this trade you know he goes into the future and all the marvel superheroes have died from atomic bombs or whatever deus ex machina them off the page and so you really only have captain america hulk in the thing and Captain America, after fighting with the Hulk and, and saving him, he goes looking for the thing because he knows, well, that's Ben Grimm. Like, Ben Grimm's going to help me. And so he goes down in this tunnel and he finds Ben Grimm, like a modern Prometheus, just pushing big wheel down. Ben thinks he's doing it to, like, keep everybody above him alive. When, in fact, he's actually just keeping the main bad guy, this totalitarian evil dictator with mind control, alive. And the tears that well up in Ben Grimm's eyes when he finds out the truth. My God. Again, if you've never read Mark Wade's run on Fantastic Four, that's another great run. And he knows how to write Ben Grimm, too. He knows what buttons to push to say he's always going to be the heart. And, the, and the, when that heart breaks and you see a stone man cry, they killed Sue, they killed Reed, they killed all these guys, and I've been pushing this wheel for all the wrong reasons. My God, I, I got I got teared up. I, I, I felt it. I can't follow that. 
We're, I mean, that's the good thing that you get about with Captain America, I will say. Whether it's this run or other ones, you always have like one or two moments, a really well-written Captain America book where you really feel it. Like he says something like the tree by the river thing or something where it yeah. hits you. Did you that guys have a Spider-Man one? book? I, I absolutely did in that issue 695, the first issue of the story. When, you know, he has the he's there and there are two little kids that have wandered away from their teacher. And, you know, he goes up to the taller one and he's like, listen, you watch out for little Timmy, you know, because you're bigger than him. And that's what we do. The, the big kids take care of the little ones. And that's how it works. And that's so much of Captain America is just standing up for the little guy, standing up for the people that, that need it. And uh, it really cut to the essence of the character for me. And like, there's that emotional moment at the end where the little girl stands up and puts herself in harm's way to protect uh, the other little kid. And it's like, this is what Captain America inspires us to do. And hopefully... It ends as well as it did for that little girl where everybody gets rescued. Yeah, I, I, and I like how they uh, they sort of bookend that first issue um, at the end of the story. So he's going back to the town, and there she is now, you know, with the same flag, but obviously 10 years later grown up. And uh, he's saying that, never forget that the strong protect the weak. And she's standing there, and she goes, that's the rule. Welcome back. I love that moment. Welcome back, Cap. You know, good to have you back. You're here to protect the people who can't protect themselves, which is supposed to be what America is about, too, right? That's You're true. going on that whole nostalgia trip. That's yeah. the whole idea of uh, what America is, that uh, that the strong protect the weak, that right. uh, as a society doesn't always work out that way, but the ideal. And Mark Wade does touch upon some other things that I think are, are American touchstones. Like, for example, like at the, I think it's in 699, where he's walking up the steps to confront this mind-controlling little gremlin of a man that has you know, basically rules this wasteland with an iron fist. And the guy's trying to take over his mind. And he's he fights against it. And he hits him with the shield. And he says, how did you do that? I, I took control of the Hulk. Like, you shouldn't be as powerful as the Hulk. And he says, ah, the Hulk only has anger. I've got hope. And hope is much stronger. For me, that I think that, that, that Mark Wade is saying something in that. I think at the time that this book was released, I think that was, there was, and, and there still is, there's a lot of anger among folks. And I think that, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it's good to be reminded that hope is a lot more powerful than negative emotions like anger. So I, I think that was neat too. I remember wanting to get hand these books to Zack Snyder and be like, no, this is what it means when you talk about heroes and hope. Yes. Not, not the Injustice universe or whatever he came up with. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right. Well, we'll be right back with more of The Last Comic Shop right after these messages. We're going to get our grades uh, for Home of the Brave. So stay tuned for those fireworks. Hi, everyone. I'm Nick Palatichuk. I'm an independent film director and screenwriter. I'm also an independent comic book artist and creator. I want to let you know about my podcast, The St. Paul Filmcast. It's a weekly podcast where I interview other independent filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. You can find the show on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Radio, as well as distributor Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So, if you're interested in how independent films get made or the process of filmmaking, also, if you're interested in other artists' process and works as well, Tune into my show, the St. Paul Filmcast, where it's not over till the guests say it's over. You can say that it's over. 
All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings. Yes, the great thing about living in this country is we rate everything here. We give everybody ratings. Three stars, two stars. Where'd you stay in that hotel? What'd you think of that restaurant? What'd you think of that blockbuster video that doesn't exist anymore? Which, by the way, that movie, the last, block, or the last blockbuster, it's a bunch of people sitting around going, you remember when there were blockbusters? That was great. <laughs> I mean, they do that for 90 minutes, but you know what? It was great. I really enjoyed the movie. Oh, I did too. My wife turned it on and I was like, what is this? And I sat down and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm fine. I didn't care that what when Jamie Kennedy was talking about a blockbuster. I was like, who are you and why should I remember you? I don't care. Talk about blockbuster in the blue shirts. And, and you know what we should also talk about is, again, our rating scale, which we do every single week. I don't think it'll be number of blockbusters, but... J.A., what is our rating scale for our special Independence Day Captain America fried chicken episode? Well, what could be more American than fried chicken, red, white, and blue, and a good old slice of apple pie? So that's what we're rating. One to four slices of apple pie. Very nice. Uh, We're going to go ahead and start off with Chad's uh, rating of this particular book, just because he's such a big fan of this particular team of Wade and Zomney. So I want to hear what he thinks of this particular book. Oh, boy. I feel like I say this every week, but this is hard because I feel like this book is emblematic of Captain America itself. The first half is so hopeful and so inspiring and so awesome. And then the back half is just there. It's telling another Captain America out of time story like we've seen a thousand times. You know, whenever they blow up Captain America, it's an inspiring moment there at the end. But uh, I didn't really feel it or care about it or think that it mattered because it didn't matter. Uh, We had another Captain America right there. And so you see the little gleam in the the post lady's eyes like, oh, I remember this thing that's going to happen in 2025 that didn't really happen, but maybe might happen. I'm not sure, but I have this letter and so I... I feel this thing that, like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so, but no, I, I love the first three issues so much. Chris Somney drawing Craven uh, was great. It's the closest I've ever gotten to Chris Somney uh, doing Spider-Man stuff, which he's done such great runs on Thor, The Mighty Avenger, Daredevil. Uh, boy, do I love Chris Somney. Like, and that art style is just, it's, it's my jam. It's what I, I want all art to look like. If I could have Chris Somney draw every book, I would sign up for that. But I'm going to say three and a half slices of apple pie because it's beautiful, it's great, and it totally fits the character. But at the same time, while I was in the back half, I was like, okay, this is here. And it just kind of was existing for me. The way that Captain America sometimes blends into the background of the Marvel Universe for, you know, hundreds of issues at a time until you really need him. All right, Jay. Hey, how many uh, slices of apple pie are you gobbling down? About two and a half. Two and a half to three. So I'd say two and a half. So two and a half, and I've got like some dollops of uh, vanilla ice cream on the side. Ah, (laughs) Alamode. That's the way to do it. Yes. I really enjoyed the first three issues. And the whole future storyline to me, it ended up not mattering. Yeah, you get some nice plot points. You get Thing and and that powerful scene. And you get a nice fight between Captain America and Hulk. But he dies at the end. So basically that whole issue was 
instantly retconned and didn't didn't matter then, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter to anyone but the reader because we're the only ones who knows that it happened. Captain America doesn't even know it happened. So therefore, it doesn't impact his character going forward. So ah. that to me, it's, it's just a, a story for the story's sake. I, and I guess a lot of that's sort of like comic books too, right? Because they're always retconning and rebuilding and uh, reintroducing True. stuff as we go anyways. But if you're going to give me stories that don't matter, give me more realistic stories, maybe. I don't know. I just like the first three issues a lot better. Okay. <laughs> See, that, that, and this is where I'm going to completely disagree with both of you. Because, I mean, again, this is a tale of two books and it seems like you guys like the first book. I loved the second book. I, honestly, the first three, I was just like, "Ma, he goes to a town that's named after him, needs some stuff, cool. That swordsman issue, I was like, I really don't care about the swordsman. <laughs> so the Craven one was kind of neat. I liked that. But it, it, it's it really started to gain some momentum in those last three issues because it was actually telling a story. And it was a telling a story over three issues. And I could have actually seen that story go on. Even though I've seen that issue, that story before, like, again, I'm a big fan of the Rick Remender uh, trapped in Dimension Z storyline where it was pretty much Captain America in kind of a post-apocalyptic wasteland. I, so I, I get it. He's but even frozen in ice again. This is like Death Star 2. Death Star 3. <laughs> it's true. There were so many powerful moments in just that story. And, and I'll say this to J.A., from somebody that loves Elseworlds, and you've talked about loving Elseworlds, sometimes stories don't have to matter. You can just tell a story, and it can be self-contained, and you're done with. And it, it just for the reader's sake. Like, this is, like, pretty much a three-issue what-if, and I love what-ifs, too. So, like, it's, you know, Captain America gets trapped in ice and uh, ends up in some sort of weird future where only Hulk and Thing exist, in addition to him. And he has to set things right, and there's mutants running around. All right, I'll take it for three issues. I'll take it because it's got lines like, you know, in issue 700, where, you know, he's trying to basically patch together this entire broken fragment of a world by being the leader and, and taking everything upon his shoulders. And he realizes, like, none of his efforts are really helping. Like, he's trying to do everything, but at the end of the day, it's so far gone that the only thing he can do is go back in time and, and avert it from all happening in the beginning with. And so he makes the line of, like, sometimes hope isn't enough. Uh, and later on, when he sacrifices himself. So basically, it's at that point, he says, hope is not a plan. Meaning, basically, you need to have other things in addition to having. But at the same time, when he sacrifices him, he says, hope is not a plan, but it's the start. And, you know, and again, in that classic Mark Wade style, which kind of cuts to the core and cuts to the heart of that particular character in which Captain America is willing to sacrifice himself for the, the sake of hope at the end of the day. But he, he knows that it's hope with a purpose, a hope with a plan, hope with a greater out of that hope will come greater things. And so I, I don't know. I'm going to still give it like a three. It's a three because I've read better Captain America books. I mean, honestly, uh, you can read Rick Remender's Trapped in uh, Dimension Z if you want to read Post-Apocalyptic Gap, and it's really done well. You can read Winter Soldier. You can read even Mark Wade's original run. Chad's going to talk about it in a second. But yeah, there's better Cap out there. But this isn't bad, and it's still worth three slices of apple pie. And gosh, those three issues at the end where he basically punches that little troll of a... He looks like somebody, doesn't he? That's just me. I thought he looked like somebody. But anyways. It's funny to me that Andy and I uh, have totally opposing viewpoints on this book. 
where like the parts he loved, I'm like, yeah, that was okay. The parts I love, he's like, yeah, that kind of offended me. Or, oh, that was kind of boring. But I will tell you, the thing that would have made those last three issues better is that they called it Cap Mandy. Because this was just a Commandy book in disguise. You had that guy with a dog head running around and all those weird little mutants. Like, this was a Commandy book with Captain America. Now, see, that's how they should have repurposed that Jack Kirby art. They should have done some sort of mashup with Captain America jumping around in the Commandies, fighting those talking dogs and those those walking tigers. Should have had the hair. <laughs> and speaking of Commandy, and that not showing up in our recommendations for this week, although I could recommend that you go out to your local comic book shop and pick up Commandy. It's a great book. I enjoyed it a lot. But as always on this show, we do a current book, a similar book, and a book out of left field. So... As always, we're going to give that to you, and we're going to start off with J.A. Scott and his particular book, which I think is out of left field, so we're starting in kind of reverse this week. So, J.A., what's your pick for this week? What better recommendation on this 4th of July weekend than a Captain Britain book? Oh! <laughs> the Empire! I'll take my tease. Thank you very much, sir. And I'm going to recommend... Uh, Secret Invasion, Captain Britain and MI-13 takes place during the Secret Invasion Scroll War of Earth. Uh, Britain comes under heavy attack and all the superheroes in Britain sort of band together to fight off the Scrolls who are attacking the Siege Perilous so that Captain Britain and, and the heroes can't go to uh, Otherworld in Avalon. Captain Britain and Wisdom and all these uh, British-based superheroes fighting Super Scrolls. And Merlin shows up and resurrects Captain Britain. And uh, you get Captain Britain using Excalibur to defeat this magically empowered Super Scroll, Super Magic. I don't know where magic and super, where the (laughs) adjectives begin with the scroll bit on that one. At the end of it... Faiza Hussein becomes the new welder of Excalibur. Just a really fun story. If you like Captain Britain, if you like scrolls, if you sort of like that magic stuff or Excalibur, um, you'll be into it. So it's uh, by Paul Cornell and Leonard Kirk. Yeah. Uh, I've always liked Paul Cornell. He used to do a lot of the old Doctor Who novels back in the day when Doctor Who was on its hiatus in between the old series and the new series. Paul Cornell was a great uh, Doctor Who writer, so I was always a fan. So there you go. He knows how to write Brits. Yeah, (laughs) he does. He does. Leonard Kirk is a great artist. Um, yeah, but I love the I love the scroll that looks like John Lennon in that. Like, yes, that's the best. And and, and and he turns out to be the good guy. <laughs> well, uh, for our current pick this week, um, again, if you like uh, American based superheroes fighting in post-apocalyptic uh, wastelands, look no further than Tom Scioli's American Barbarian. Just got to be one of the more interesting books that I've read in recent years. It originally came out, I think, in 2015, so it's about six years old about now. And uh, it tells the story of a guy named America and uh, how he's uh, the last surviving uh, member of his kingdom in this weird post-apocalyptic world. Uh, all his, the rest of his family were killed by 
the evil two tank omen who is a cross between Ramatut and Munra and the vehicle version of Ultron <laughs> because he has tanks for feet. <laughs> Can I just stop you? Don't even go any farther. That's already batshit crazy enough. <laughs> Well, along with his band of techno raiders, TTO, as I'll call him, attacks uh, all these kingdoms, and and basically Merrick's no chump. And first he pretends to be TTO's friend, and then he's secretly wants revenge. He actually carves revenge on his fingertips so he doesn't forget. But I mean, <laughs> this is a neat book because it's got a lot of frantic energy. There's a lot of wild ideas, and it's kind of a hodgepodge of different styles. And at first you can think it's kind of like just madness. Like it just that doesn't make any sense. But I kind of cut through all of that. And really what this book is, it's just an illustration of the fact that Tom Scioli clearly likes three things. He likes Silver Age comics. He likes Saturday morning cartoons. And he likes action figures. And so unlike doing a podcast... Or, I don't know, uh, a blog about these things. He decides to just throw all of his love into a comic book and kind of mash up all the things he loved as a child and, and put them all into a comic book and say, here you go. This is my mashup. This is my homage. This is my metafictional commentary on all the things I loved as a kid. There was a character that looks like the Chewbacca figure from the oh. Kenner Star Wars line. This rolling science citadel that looks like the Technodrome from TMNT. There's another black hole facility that looks like it's ripped out of the time tunnel. There's stuff that looks like Commandy and He-Man. And all of this is done in kind of like this Jack Kirby style. I think that, you know, there's a huge buy-in with this book. Like, other people might not be interested, but this really scratched an itch for me. Some of its photographs, other of its watercolors, uh, you know, these huge, giant two-page spreads. And we did that Batman Universe book. And, you know, how there, there's that two-page spread of Batman and Nightwing fighting all the ninjas. He has a two-page spread like that where he's jumping around the techno drum, going from room to room, just beating up guys. Super neat stuff. So if you can find it, I think IDW put it out in hardback. That's how I have it. Uh, and it's definitely a trip for your 4th of July weekend. And you're selling Tom Scully short. He does have a podcast. He does the cartoonist kayfabe with Ed Pisker, who also has another one of those bat bleep crazy energetic styles. And you can get that American Barbarian if you have a Comixology account. It's available for unlimited so yeah, you should there definitely you check it out. Other things you can check out, similar picks. Chad, what's our similar pick? So my recommendation is going to be the first time Mark Wade had a run on Captain America, uh, which started all the way back with issue 444, uh, where he took Captain America, who for the years prior had been kind of languishing. He had been uh, turned into Cap Wolf, where they turned him into a werewolf. They'd gone through the phase where his body was breaking down and he had to wear armor to survive. Like, Mark Wade takes over the book and takes about half an issue and is like, okay, we're done with that stuff now. Mm. And he turns it into a spy thriller. He turns Captain America into James Bond, basically. He reintroduces Sharon Carter and puts Captain America as a book back on the map. And everything was going gangbusters, and then Marvel canceled the book. Um, <laughs> Is that when we got cat pecs? <laughs> yes! And you know that I'm a huge Rob Liefeld fan. What happened was, in issue 454, 
Uh, that was the last issue of this Captain America run, which is totally great. Marvel canceled Captain America, Iron Man, Avengers books. Those were all being licensed out to Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee's respective studios for the Heroes Reborn project. Um, and so Captain America rebooted. But the fan outcry for the Mark Wade run was so great that once the Heroes Reborn experiment was over, uh, Mark Wade and Ron Garney picked back up with the new Captain America book. I think two. They had the Sentinels of Liberty, as well as the regular Captain America book. I think Andy Kubert, or one of the Kubert brothers, is on that. But uh, both the, the Mark Wade and the Rob Liefeld story, you can trace some of the elements of the movies uh, back to these books. And so it's almost like when uh, Kevin Feige and company were looking for information. Everybody knows that the Ed Brubaker influence is there. But you go back, you can find the Liefeld, you can find the Mark Wade, you can find those little elements in these runs that start with issue 445 to 454. And then also, I, I really enjoy the first six issues of the, the Heroes Reborn. I'm not going to make that my official recommendation, but it's still fun too. There's all kinds of fun cap out there. Yeah. So make sure that you get out to a local comic book shop and pick some of that up over your long 4th of July weekend coming up. And while you're out driving around to these local comic book shops, make sure that you uh, check out www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can download all of our past episodes to fill up that 4th of July weekend right. Like Captain America, we are not timely, yet we are part of all the times. So if you read a book... You can come back and check us out. We'll be here. So go out and rate, review, and subscribe on all those variety of podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, YouTube, CastBox, uh, Pandora, Amazon Podcasts, and a variety of other places. I had this memory of this great cover of Captain America with Black Widow uh, by Jim Lee from X-Men. I just found that in a dollar bin, but guess what, J.A.? It was in 3D! It came with the 3D glasses and everything! I forgot about that part of it. I think it's a, they, they, it takes place in Madripoor. Don't they go to Madripoor or something? Then there's some throwbacks, because Wolverine was in World War II, because of course he was. <laughs> but yes, you can pick up that issue at a local comic book shop, and if you don't know where your local comic book shop is, Chad, how can you help them find that? Well, you can go to www.comicshoplocator.com to find a comic shop near you that might have dollar bins, similar to the dollar bin where I found the Uncanny X-Men in 3D, drawn by Jim Lee. It's tons of fun for ye. Check it out. <laughs> All right. And until next week, I was the host with the most, Andy Larson, and I was joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith. Uh, so all of you out there this 4th of July weekend, stay safe, stay sheltered, and remember for the 4th of July to eat your hot dogs with spaghetti, because that's what the Jolly Bee would do, and damn it if he's not patriotic. You know what we need? We need a team up of Cap and the Jolly Bee. So why not? <laughs> <laughs> Last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production. <laughs>